Specifically, the Gospels is all about Jesus. There's no doubt about it. It's all about Jesus, and he is indeed our hero. And the things he does should inspire us. It should shock us. It should make us think, wow, I wish I could do that. Because, again, Jesus is Jesus, and he can do things that we can't do. He's pure. He's holy. He's completely amazing. He's the Son of God. So things we see, we're going to learn from, because we want to be like Jesus, but also recognize him. There is no one like Jesus because he's the pure and holy, true Son of God. So we want to learn, we want to grow, we want to be like him. But let's take the lessons from him and realize that this is what I this is what we value as true. This is what we value as good. This is what we value as being pure and honorable. And this is what we want to be like. This is what we will you know, try to be like. Because we want to not be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who are described as fruitless. They had no change. They had no interest in change. They are fruitless. And, and remember what John told them. John said, listen, that fruitless people, those fruitless lives of, that you live in, are as valuable as a tree that produces no fruit. And the, basically, what good is a tree that doesn't produce fruit? It, it's, it's good for the fire. It's, it's firewood. And, um, and, and he says, and, and this is the Jesus Christ. This is what he's going to come to baptize you in. The Holy Spirit and fire. So you choose. You want the Holy Spirit? You want God's spirit, power in your life to make fruit, to change you? Because we do want to be changed. Or do you want to be just reserved for fire? And that's all you're really good for. And of course, we talked about the element of, of judgment. You need to choose a path. Because Jesus comes with a winnowing fork in his hand to clear his threshing floor. Um, you know, separating the wheat and putting it in a safe place, in a barn, while burning the shaft, which is just the, the useless bits. And fire. And then we get to verse 13. And if Gary wants to advance the slide, we can read this together if you want. You want to read together or you want me to read it? Last week you guys were excited about reading, but I think you're wanting to take it in. Okay, we'll take it in. I'll read it. You can look there or you can look at your Bibles. So it says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to uh, deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. So here, we see the first act of Jesus, if you will. We're now introduced to our hero, Jesus, and look what he does. The first thing he does is an act of humility. He doesn't come out saying, I am God, worship me. He comes in humility. And of course, this throws John, the baptizer, completely off. <laughs> He's totally tripped out. What are you, you're coming here to be baptized? 
Don't forget what baptized means. Baptized means to immerse. What's he immersing? He's immersing people in the water repentance. And there's Jesus. Wait, whoa, time out. What do you, Jesus, have to be repentant of? This is bizarre. But Jesus is wanting to, to be an example. He's trying to show, I'm not greater. I'm, I'm humble. I'm here. He's greater in the sense that he is the Son of God and he is the Messiah. But he wants to come in humility because that is the way of the kingdom of God. John's doing much more than just baptizing in, in repentance. He's also preaching the kingdom of God. And Jesus is all about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven which is at hand. That's what we want to see. And Jesus is showing us. It's a spiritual thing. We need, but it's not just the act of baptism. Because Jesus doesn't need to repent. It's the act of humility. You see the difference? He doesn't need to repent. He doesn't need the baptism to repent. He needs the baptism for righteousness sake. Because it's right. It's a good thing to do. It's a good example. It fulfills prophecy. And... It demonstrates Christ's humility. If Christ did not have humility, he would not make it to the cross. Because the cross, in the beating, and the torturing, and all that, that happened to him as he was making his way to the cross and on the cross itself is humility. So he says this needs to be done. It's proper. It's the right thing to do. And Jesus is interested in doing the right thing. Even if it is a bit humiliating. Even if it's a bit odd. Even if it hurts a wee bit. And as we see, Jesus lives for others his whole life and this is starts off with this look it's good for those watching that i because he's confirming john's ministry which he's going to pick up and move on with actually as we'll see in matthew as we continue it's right we want to make an example we want to do it's right yeah we don't need to do it but if it's helpful for the kingdom of god and for the gospel's sake let's do that thing and of course you know, he does it, and, and we see God's Holy Spirit come upon him, lighting upon him, to become one with him, to be adhered to him. And then God himself speaks and says, I am pleased with him. He is my son. So with this, I like to say this. So far, we have the Christian experience. Okay, guys, think about this. Embrace this. You hear the message of the gospel, repentance. Change your ways. Follow after God, and his Holy Spirit will come to you and make you new. And you say, this is exciting. This is amazing. This is awesome. I want this. I want to be a Christian. I want to be an, a person who falls after Christ. And so you do the repentance. You come with an honest, open mind and heart. Change me, oh God. But then you also have this thing called baptism, which is a thing we do in humility and in, and in trust and faith. Because again, it's what, as Jesus described, it's proper. We need to fulfill all righteousness. So we do this thing called baptism of repentance. And then something strange happens. And this is funny because this happens to all of us, I believe. And it also happens to Christ. What happens after one gets baptized? The great trials and temptations come to flood you away. Satan comes to rip you off. It is a guarantee time and time and time again. I'm not going to give any examples. But time and time and time again, I've seen baptism. And then I've seen a person disappear. Carried away from the, from the cares of the world. Ripped off by Satan. And that is Satan's work. Satan's trick. And we're going to learn this to this morning. Satan's trick. Satan's technique. Satan's way. And he's real. In fact, if Jesus is the protagonist of today's story, Satan indeed is the antagonist. And he's here. And he's going to come out right now. Because he, now that Jesus has been baptized, just like with you and I, when we get baptized, we make an outward public commitment to Jesus Christ. 
Satan's going to come and try to rip us off. And we call it temptation because, again, Satan is the great tempter. He, Satan's interested in tempting us to get us off of the right road. This new road that we found, this new road of repentance, we found it. We're excited about it. We're fired up about it. We get baptized. Things are great. People see it. They're, now they're watching. And this is the perfect time for Satan to attack while people are watching. Boom, he wants to rip you off. And then we get to the next slide. Jesus and his temptation. Sure enough, he's baptized. Satan's going to loom. God's going to ask him to do something. Just like you and I. Being a Christian isn't about just being in a state of Christendom, and that's the end of it. It's also being a part of obedience. Now, God, what is your will? Where do you want to take me? Where are you going to carry me? And God gave Jesus a specific task to do. Simple task. Go out and fast. Go out into the wilderness. Be alone. Now, he's already in the wilderness, as we described last week, as John's baptizing the wilderness. But now he goes, now I want you to go deep into the wilderness and be alone. Alone with me to pray and to fast. Do that. It's a simple task. Well, simple in a sense. I don't think I can fast for 40 days. But Jesus did. The instructions are clear. He knew what it was. It wasn't a complicated, that's what I mean. It wasn't a complicated task. It was simple in the sense of you just go and you fast and you pray with me. But you know Satan's going to rush in and try to thwart God's will, God's plan in Christ's life, in his ministry, right off the get-go, right off the get-go. So, again, before we do the temptation, I want to look at what uh, these three things here that Satan's going to use. These are three techniques that Satan uses to tempt us. I consume, I want, and now acknowledge me. Those are the three things. I consume, I want, and now acknowledge me. So if you could please turn with me then real quick. Keep your hands there to 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17. We're going to read that. And we're going to see these three elements of temptation that Satan uses classically back then and even now. Satan uses these techniques of I consume and I want and now acknowledge me. So 1 John, which is the epistles, which is not the Gospel of John. It's the one with the one before it, which is near the back of the Bible. Before Revelation and Jude and all that stuff. You have the 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. So 1 John 2, 5, 17, we see the love of the world. And the love of the world is the trap, basically, that Satan uses to get us off of the love of the kingdom of God. So there's two kingdoms, the world's kingdom and God's kingdom. And Satan's interested in the kingdom of the world. He's not interested in the kingdom of God. He wants to do everything to keep us uninterested in the kingdom of God and more interested in the kingdom of the world. And this is what it says in verse 15. Do not love the world. It doesn't say do not care for the world. Okay? He says do not be caught up and be passionate and be sold out for the world. Okay? We, we obviously, we're to care and we're to be stewards and to be, you know, you know, do what we can to make our world, you know, a safe place to, to worship God, you know. But he's, it's a different kind of love. Don't be consumed with the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So verse 16, this is the point right here I'm trying to make. 16 says this, for everything in the world, this is it. This is what he's talking about, love the world, is this. Number one, I consume the cravings of sinful man. Number two, I want the lust of the eyes. What is the eyes? Oh, I want this, I want that, I like that, I like this, I like that. 
And then number three, acknowledge me and the boasting of what he has and does. You see that? Three things. First of all, the I consume. He describes it as the cravings of sinful man. Ooh, I want this. This feels good. This tastes good. This, this is nice. Number two, I want. If you don't have it, you want it. The lust of the eyes. Number three, the acknowledgement. Aren't I great for consuming and wanting? The boasting of what he has and does. It does not come from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away. But... The man who does the will of God lives forever. It is the will of God. It's the kingdom of God that lives forever. I know, it's a tricky one, Gary. Now, next slide. Back in Matthew 4. We're going to start Matthew 4, 1 through 6. And we're going to see this temptation. Remembering these three things, I consume, I want, and now acknowledge me. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, Matthew says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. Now he's going even more in the desert, deeper to be truly and purely alone, to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I know many people who can't go without 40 minutes of eating without being enough. I saw that, Julie. So here we go in verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said in response, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So, next slide, Gary. Let's look at these verses. Um, here in these verses, we see the two temptations, two first temptations, which are these things, the love of the world. The first one, I consume. Bread. What is the bread? Okay, well, spread something we need, okay? Okay, yeah, we need to eat, sure. We understand that. But it's small in comparison to God's will. It's small in comparison to God's kingdom and God's ways and God's will. It's small. So ought we to live for something that's small? Or ought we live for something that's big? Again, Jesus is the Son of God. He has the power. He has the rights of authority to change stones to bread. But is that what God really wants? Is God really interested in that? God told him to do a simple thing. Go out and fast and pray. So whatever it is in, in your life and my life that God has called us to do, simply, we need to just do that. And to change these stones would be to disobey God's call upon his life. But why would we submit to such an unpleasant thing? Because being a Christian is about being obedient and submitting to God. God has his ways, which are different than our understandings. And sometimes it can be a bit confusing. And here's Jesus. He's probably even more confused because he says, after 40 days of not eating, he's probably starving and going a bit, woo, you know? And, I'm, and of course, that's the perfect time for Satan to come in and tempt him. When you're at the lowest, when you're at the weakest. Oh, those stones, you're the son of God. You're the creator. You're the master of the molecule. You can change these stones into bread. Don't bother. But, no, I'm not going to do it. 
And I love how he has a response. Always have a response. And make sure that response is the word of God. Jesus knew. He understood. He was familiar with the word of God. And he used the word of God in response. And he says, with the word of God, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. Bread alone. Just bread. Bread's just small things. What is that small thing that man lives for? I want. It's toys. It's fun. It's excitement. It's money. It's food, of course. You know, things. We don't just live by those things. Those things are just there. If anything, they're a distraction. That's why it's important. That's why it's good to to pray and fast. Get rid of those distractions and just have a relationship that's direct with you and God. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word. The word, that's the important thing. The word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word is the big stuff. What are we living for? Do we want big plans for our lives and big results? Then that's the big stuff. It's God's word. And then, of course, the second temptation. I want. Then the devil took him to the holy city. In the highest temple. Look at this, God. Authority, power, glory. Look at this. You want this? I want. What about the power? What about the glory? What a spectacle it would be, God. Jesus, if you were to jump off this temple with thousands and thousands of people watching you, just jump off, and people would go, they'd be shocked, they'd be in awe. What's that man doing? But then all of a sudden your angels would come and rescue you. Wouldn't that be a spectacle? Wouldn't you get glory and honor from doing that? Don't you want that? Don't you want these things? And again, Jesus responded to him. He will command his angels concerning... Oh, I'm sorry, that's Satan's twisting of the scriptures. Um, Jesus' response in verse 7. Jesus answered and said, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to test. Again, God didn't tell him to do it. (laughs) Simple as that. God told him, go out and pray and fast. Go out and pray and fast. So, but I want to do this. You know, it's the, the, it's, it looks, it's, it's, it's exciting. It looks adventurous. It looks fun. It looks like something that, that would please my flesh and please my soul. But is it the will of God? Is it what God wants? That's the question Jesus is asking. Don't test God. You know, I know what God wants for me to do and I'm going to do it. Satan, go away. Quit testing me. Quit testing God. Next slide. The next verses. Eight should have been, seven should have been the last one. That kind of threw me off. But we'll start at eight. Right there it says again. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. So again, the third temptation. After I consume, yeah, you agree. And then after I want is, now acknowledge me. I want respect for all the things I have consumed, all the things that I want and I do. I want to be acknowledged now. Look at the great things I have consumed. Look at the great things I want, you know. And that's what he's saying here. He took him to a very high mountain. Lifting up his, or trying to lift up his pride and his, you know, his sense of ego. And he says to, to, to Jesus, all this I will give to you. Now, isn't that funny? 
What right does Satan have to give the creator of the heavens and the earth anything? <laughs> Think about it. What cheek, what irony is this? Because the irony is Satan is the chief sinner. And it is Satan that wants Jesus to fall and to be like him because of his own pride and his own arrogance. But of course he's getting Jesus, we well know, at his weakest moment, his weakest point of his life because he's, of course, horribly undernourished for not eating for 40 days. So he takes him to this high mountain, shows him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. So again, the idea, now, acknowledge me. God, Jesus, don't you want to, while you're living in this world, to be worshipped and acknowledged by all the people? And the irony is, Jesus is worshipped by all the people of the world, but not through this, but through humility and submission all the way to the cross. Because of the cross, because Jesus was faithful in his ministry and faithful to the will of God in his life, ultimately, he is worshipped and acknowledged and loved throughout the world. This would never, this is a lie. Satan comes with these temptations as pure lies. First of all, worship me? Here's the irony about this. Satan is looking himself to be acknowledged, to be worshipped. He's not deserving of it. But that's, again, what makes him, as Satan, the chief sinner. It's twisted. It's wrong. Only God to be worshipped. And that's what, of course, Jesus said. Again, using scriptures, bringing it back to what really matters and what's really true. Jesus said, away from me, Satan. First of all, that's a good thing to say, always. If you ever feel like Satan's on your back, just tell him to go away. For it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's it. No worshiping for anything or anybody but God alone. Back to what's the basic. Back to the calling. I'm here to worship God and to serve him only. Not serving you, Satan, and not serving myself. I serve God. What is God's will? Well, I'll tell you what God's will is. Again, it's a simple task for Jesus. God told me to come out to the desert to pray and to fast. It's as simple as that. It's not hugely complicated. It might be a tough task. But it's a simple task. Go, Jesus, to the desert work and pray and fast. Simple as that. This business about being worshiping Satan and getting all this kingdom whatever, has nothing to do with God's will. I need to follow God's will. So I am to worship God and serve him. Serve him only. And after this, finally... So we have to be strong. We get baptized. We want to follow after God. The temptation comes. Now, we, we are going to mess up. And that's the cool thing about as we move on in Matthew is Jesus is going to actually come for those who have messed up a lot. And we'll see that when he starts to preach. When he preaches, we'll start to identify how we have failed and how we, even as Christians, need a lot of help. And, and that's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. It's for those people who feel like they need a lot of help. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's there for God to be with us, to help us, to give us his power. We don't do these things on our own strength. Jesus did. But bear in mind, don't forget what happened before this. The Holy Spirit came upon him. See, Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he's also the Son of God. He can do it by himself. He's perfect. None of us are perfect. It's hard to resist the devil. When we see these things, these I wants and I consumes and now acknowledge me, this is human nature. In fact, I'm going to show you how it's human nature. Next slide, Jerry. Turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 3. This, if anything, will prove to us that this is indeed human nature from day one. And it is something that we all universally will struggle with. 
Why we need God's kingdom at hand and not far away. Why we need Jesus close to us and not far away. It's because it's in our nature to fall to these three things, this love of the world, as John says in his epistle. So in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent, we all know who the serpent is, obviously. It's Satan himself coming Again, under disguise, because he's a great deceiver as well as a tempter. And he was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees of the garden? Questioning God. That's a very common technique. Question God's word. Did God really say that? Is God's word really authoritative? Is God's word really open for us to truly know and understand? Don't we still hear that today? Of course we do. It's a trick from Satan. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but did God say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die? Verse four, you will not surely die. And of course, there are those who say God's word is just false. And that's what Satan's doing here. Not only did God, you know, he's basically saying what God said is a lie. You will not surely die. God's not telling you the truth. He's not looking out for you. In fact, he doesn't want you to be great like he's great. He's holding you down. Verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of, your, of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, God's holding back. Isn't another lie, common, modern, popular, cultural lie of Satan? God's trying to hold you back. He doesn't want you to have a full life. He doesn't want you to experience life to its fullest. That's a lie from Satan. We see it from the very beginning. It shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. Verse 6. So, and here's where we get to the point. Okay, this is where we get right to the point, those three elements I was talking about earlier. The, I consume, and I want, and now acknowledge me. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was, number one, good for food. It tasted yummy. I want to consume it. And... Pleasing to the eye. Hmm, I want that. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. She doesn't want to be smart for the sake of being smart. She wants to be acknowledged. I'm a wise. We're wise. We're like God. Not in a pure sense, but like God in a powerful, in a wonderful sense. She took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And of course, they covered the shame of their nakedness, their sinfulness, basically, by trying to sew fig leaves together and and covering themselves with it. So this is where it all begins, sin. It all begins with these three elements, and that's why I think it's important for us to analyze it, to think about it, to consider it, to believe in it, and then to fall on our knees before God and for Jesus and say, now we're, we need your help. We're glad that God's kingdom is at hand. We're glad that, that John the baptizer said God's kingdom is at hand. It's accessible. Like that pencil from last week. Aren't you glad? Because this is humanity. It follows these three things. Jesus didn't. We saw him succeed. We saw him go through that temptation that we so commonly go through. But he succeeded. Even at his weakest moment. Because he's the son of God, he's perfect. But as he starts to preach, he's, starting to re- he's going to start to, 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 to bring to us the realization that he's graceful, he's merciful, he's helpful. God's kingdom is there 
So when we do struggle from these three things, and we know in our own lives what these three things look like, because I think, again, it's, it's universal. It's, it is a sin nature in its purest sense. And we know what it looks like in our own lives, but we can also know that God can change us. What we don't want to do is be like the Pharisees and Sadducees who acknowledge it, you know, hypocrites, if you will, who can see it, acknowledge it, but then deny it. Or just, just basically reject the gift of the kingdom of God and the change and repentance. We want to be honest. We want to repent. We want to change. And we want to be able to open ourselves to the ministry of the Holy Spirit as God works with us. We want fruit in our lives. We don't want to be like these trees that bear no fruit. We want fruit in our lives. And as I said, Jesus is going to start teaching us now how to overcome these three things as we continue through the book of Matthew. Now we've identified them. How do we overcome them? Well, first thing we learned is the word of God. That's what Jesus did, right? He used the word of God to combat Satan. And that's one thing we have access to at all times is the word of God. So we can start with that. And that's why we come to God's word every day, right? Every day we read God's word because we want to challenge Satan as he tries to ruin our lives, basically, with his lies and his deception. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Bless us, Lord, as we um, follow after you, God, as we live our lives for you, Lord, and as we follow you, God. Bless your word. Bless us, my brothers and sisters here, Lord, all of us, Lord, as we try to live our lives for you, God, help us to learn to embrace the kingdom of God that is at hand, that's upon us, that's close, near to us, as the Holy Spirit ministers to us, Lord, daily, as we want to live lives that are free from sin, but more than that, lives that are full of fruit. So, Lord, help us, Lord, to make us healthy trees that bear fruit, Lord, fruit for the kingdom of God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.